Hello, I'm James Batchelor. I'm Dan Pearson. And you are listening to the Games Industry Podcast. So we've had uh, an interesting few months on GI. We've had uh, a lot of changes, including yourself and Chris Dring joining us uh, on the UK editorial team and helping us out with some some new projects, uh, of which this is going to be one. Yes, uh, we're reviving the Games Industry Podcast and uh, hopefully uh, sticking around this time. We're also we're working on so many things, uh, certainly in the build-up to Res, We've got the GI100, a list of the most influential uh, British people in the games industry. Yeah, excluding ourselves, obviously. Excluding ourselves, obviously. And that's going to be published in another new project, which is the GI Magazine, mm-hmm. yep. name pending. Um, we are ramping up things that we've already been doing, like the uh, the Careers Fair at Res and, and EGX. Um, we I've got a new event called Meet the Indies, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool. Where indies book a meeting space and publishers book time to see them, yep. rather than the indies sniffing around the publishers and like, please, please give us a job. The publishers have to go to them. Yeah, power and, to uh, the people. Power to the people, exactly. So um, we, we're trying a number of things uh, in GI. Twenty seventeen is going to be an ambitious promise, I know, but twenty seventeen is going to be a big year for GI. Yep. We are really ramping things up this year. Yeah, we've got um, a lot on. We're going to be curating a track at Nordic Game Conference in May, which really looking forward to. Uh, looking for for people to be speaking at that, and uh, you know potentially sponsoring that as well. So uh, do get in touch if uh, you want to submit a talk. Um, but yeah, lots of things on. We're all we're all busy at the moment. Indeed, so. and uh, adding to that busyness is going to yep. be uh, hopefully this uh, fortnightly podcast. Yep. And um, every two weeks, a uh, quick update, a quick insight oh, into. God, you've committed us now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> quick insight um, into the, you know, the the latest happenings of the industry. No more than 30, 45, 40 to forty five minutes. Yep. Um, you know, obviously we're all busy people. Yep. Um, this is a com- commuter podcast. A so. commuter podcast, exactly. Um, so we're going to be getting people on to discuss like the. Whole topics uh, we have a guest lined up for this opening show um, and we, we've got various events and stuff that we're going to where we'll hopefully be getting um, people's insight as and when we uh, we go to those indeed I mean so looking at, at the year ahead we've obviously gonna have plenty to talk about uh, it's gonna be another busy year uh, and there's plenty to look forward to I think uh, and one of the things we're going to be discussing later is obviously VR that was probably the biggest topic of last year it's very much kind of Bridging the gap between 2016 and 2017, it, it's it's going to be an exciting thing to talk about in the coming year as well, I think. But um, there's a lot of other stuff happening as well. Uh, you know. Definitely. It's, I, I, it can sometimes be very difficult to, to believe that anything's happening other than VR. Because yep. um, you, you scroll the headlines of any any given game site nowadays and yeah. it's, all, it's all VR at the moment. It's, it's, and increasingly, you know, non-game specific coverage. Yeah, well. exactly. But there, no, there's, there's loads happening. There's obviously, um, we've got the ongoing shift into 4K consoles with um, Scorpios coming up uh, this summer. Indeed, yeah. Hopefully with a... a Actual name. Actually, I quite like them to keep it as Scorpio. I quite like because they do this thing. So they had Scorpio. The Durango was the, the, the one of the previous sets. Oh, as far as I know, these are are they places somewhere in there, like the the, the desert out towards Redmond or something like Possibly. that. I remember hearing. I don't know. I, I, I've always just assumed these code names are kind of plucked from a. a they a sound like sometimes. cowboy villains a little bit, don't they? Durango, Scorpio. Yes. Good. Yeah. Next time the Xbox Blofeld. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> But no, I, th- I don't think Scorpio is a cool name. But no, there's the ongoing uh, transition into 4K consoles. I have to admit, I'm not one for 4K resolutions or all that stuff. Largely because I don't have a TV that runs it. Yep. So I, I'm happy with my launch model of Xbox One. I won't be too fussed on the Scorpio. But I am very intrigued to see what it does, and particularly what lessons they learn from the PS4 Pro. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's been an interesting back and forth. 
as it always is between uh, Sony and Microsoft. You know, we had a we had a brief period where they seemed to drop a little bit of that, uh, you know, bit of that kind of rivalry. Drop some of the um, the kind of the the kind of prodding each other that, that sort of reached a height a few years ago, and they they played nice for a little while, and now that does seem to be over again, and and they're willing to you know. Uh, be having a little bit of uh, of ever more serious banter and, and kind of uh, pushing each other around a little bit more. And I think with those two consoles, that became quite obvious. Mm. This whole, you know, the, the phrase teraflop entered uh, the consumer mindset in a prominent way for the first time. And suddenly it was, how many teraflops have you got? Well, we've got two more teraflops than that. And, you know, we might end up sticking another couple of teraflops on the side of ours a little bit later <laughs> and, and making it more. So that that's that's an interesting an interesting thing to say the way that that's that's playing out particularly as it looks like the Scorpio might end up being a little bit more powerful than the PS4 Pro with the PS4 having been a little bit more powerful than the Xbox One for the last uh, three years or however long it's been um, so yeah that's going to be an interesting thing so it's going to be interesting to see like whether it has as much impact as both platform holders seem to be building up to mm-hmm. because ultimately they can't fully take advantage of these consoles and the, the power of these consoles, nor can developers, yep. without leaving behind the millions of people who have already bought and have no intention or no money to upgrade. Yep. I may not be able to afford to upgrade to either a PS4 Pro or an Xbox Scorpio, yep. but I sure as hell don't want to be told that I can't play Red Dead Redemption 2 come Christmas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you're not just asking someone to spend, let's throw a ballpark figure of probably 400 Four hundred pounds, four hundred and fifty pounds, basically, maybe on a, on a new console. You're also saying, hey, you're probably going to have to drop another fifteen hundred on the television as well, particularly yeah. if you want a good one. I spent, you know, somewhere in the region of twelve hundred pounds on a ten eighty p TV three years ago. To get a better TV than that in four K, I'm going to have to drop a lot more money than I'm prepared or able to at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And what else are you looking forward to this year? Um, I suppose I'd better say the Switch, so we can talk about Nintendo for a little while. I am looking forward to the Switch. Uh, I, I I do love Nintendo games, and it's it's fun to say I don't because Nintendo fans are the easiest people to make angry by uh, by prodding them. But um, I am really looking forward to that. That's coming up at the end of uh, what is currently this week. Um, may not be by the time you hear this, but um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting thing. I would love for it to revive the handheld gaming scene particularly because I absolutely yeah. love that prospect. I'd, I'd love to see it fulfil two promises. One is the promise of the Wii U because I think the, the, the original Wii U reveal, the the implication was it was all contained in that tablet mm-hmm. and it wasn't. And yeah. the idea of taking that tablet around and going, you know, and playing, that's what we all wanted, that's not what we got. Yeah. Now that's what we're getting. Equally, the idea of console-style experiences on the go is something we've been promised since the PSP. Yeah. If I had a PSP... And that is not what we got. No, we and got, the same with the Vita. Well, they said, well, "Oh, you know, this is yeah. basically a portable PS3." It, it wasn't. It, it kind, of, it kind of was, but it's it, it's a it's a portable. It's console style experiences, but not with portability in mind. Yeah. At the risk of going off on a rant, the amount of PSP and Vita games I had, where you couldn't save whenever you wanted, or if you, well, I, I used to get the. I used to. I was working in London at the time when I had my PSP. Mm. Forty minute train ride. I think, oh, that's that's more than enough time to get through. A Monster Hunter tutorial? No, no, it's not no, because they're no. forty-five minutes. Yeah. Fine, I will put it into sleep mode. Walk to my my flat, which is four minutes away. Oh look, my PSP for uh, my PSP is dead. I have to start <laughs> again. That's not it. I'd hope that Nintendo have have found a way around that. There's a few other things to look forward to games-wise. 
no, Red Dead Redemption 2 we've mentioned already that's going to be uh, a, a really really hopefully an exciting thing um, it's going to be massive and I'm, I, you know, I'm also intrigued to see not just how good that game is but how many games abandon Q4 to avoid going up against yeah. that one I think we're in for a very slim Christmas yeah yeah, yeah. in terms of choice purely because you will have the usual Call of Duty FIFA and Destiny 2 whatever um, Assassin's Creed might come back hopefully I think beyond that there won't be a great deal in the way of of new IP or or less annual titles purely because Red Dead Redemption Two is going to be frigging massive. Yeah. GTA Three, I think. Sorry, GTA Three, GTA Five, <laughs> as you pointed out, is still number three in the charts this week. Yeah. Three years after it's come out. Yeah. Like there is going to be so much hype building up for this game. Yeah. And I don't. I don't think it will outsell. Grand Theft Auto Five. I think GTA Five has a much broader appeal than Red Dead Redemption Two does, but yep. I think it's going to be enough to scare a lot of the publishers. Yep. And you know, we've always seen Westworld has proven that you know the the Western genres maybe do a bit of a you know we've seen quite a lot of it recently. Mm-hmm. We've seen things like the you know the Magnificent Seven reboot. We've seen things like uh, the Hateful Eight. We've you know seen things like even things like the the Revenant, Django Unchained, doing that kind of period mm. of, of of frontier uh, America and, and a little bit later on and and you know whether they're going to be able to capitalise on on things like Westworld bringing that back into the fore and there's you know it's become, going to become the new zombies maybe and that's all we'll see for you know if it could just replace zombies that zombies great. and vampires no yeah. more zombies yeah. please yeah um, yeah so like Red Dead Redemption two looking very much forward to that very much looking forward to like I, I let's be honest I probably won't be able to afford a switch come March but I will be able to afford Mass Effect Andromeda yes yeah very much looking forward to that I adored the trilogy I think that is my my favorite games. Yep. of the previous generation, I pray to God they don't go the Dragon Age Inquisition route, which is clearly a slimmed-down MMO. Yep. yep. But now set in the Mass Effect universe. Yeah. Mass Effect needs to be a much more polished, substantial experience yeah. rather than just... But a bit more focused at the same time. Lot more, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, but The footage I've seen so far looks good, although worryingly I've only seen footage of it being one person at the minute you know they've not seen footage where you've had your crew with you you know we saw some yeah. gameplay the other day where it was just the player character showing the switching between classes on the fly and that's really exciting but I hope they don't replace that squad element with a single player switching between classes because I think building you know it had that classic heist movie kind of momentum you know building your crew going on this last job potentially a suicide run and See, you know, the, the the interplay between all the people that you were recruiting was was the big thing that really made me love I, the series. I can't imagine the world. Like, the, the, the squad play must be in there because, like, Bioware games have always thrived on the companions and that that party atmosphere. Like way yep. back, you know, to, to their earliest RPGs, you've always had a big party of compelling characters around you. So yeah, no, I I, I have a party no, like a Bioware party. <laughs> <laughs> I have no no doubt that's going to be a. Going to be an issue. Um, no, I think I think that's going to be absolutely fine. I'm just I'm hoping that I'm not overhyping that game in my head <laughs> too much. They've they've played relatively quietly on it so far. They have shockingly so, given that it's out in like three months. Yeah. But then I wonder I wonder if because like Mass Effect Three they went massive on it and they were building so much hype and obviously it's different because it was the culmination of a trilogy rather than something new. I mean, Christ, Mass Effect, the first Mass Effect, I barely heard anything about it until someone said, "Hey, here's a copy. Do you want to borrow this and uh, see see what you think?" Yeah. Um, but Mass Effect 3, they obviously went massive, and there was obviously the whole fallout around the ending, but it's one I wonder if they're playing the cards closer to their chest this this time, so as to not to build up anticipation too much, yep. so that you don't get to the end of Andromeda and people start complaining about different coloured endings again. <laughs> so. 
Oh, uh, what about other things that we don't know about yet? I mean, there's you know, there's there's always a few series that I dream of coming back. You know, when when some of the guys uh, from from GSC reformed a new company, I I was I've ever since been anticipating anticipating the possible return of Stalker as a series. I would love that. With the 3DS being phased out, you know, the potential for Monster Hunter to move onto a new platform, whether mm. that's Switch or something else, is tremendously exciting for me. Um, you know, the idea of, of some of these series feeling like they've hit a bit of a peak and looking to reinvent themselves, perhaps in the same way that Battlefield has done with Battlefield yeah. 1, whether that will happen with, uh, you know, Call of Duty, whether that will happen with Assassin's Creed, whether that will happen with some of these other, these other big brands. I mean, there's some possibility for some exciting things there. Yeah, um, I don't think we'll see the jump that we do traditionally with with the old console generations, but I wonder whether Pro and Scorpio becoming gradually more of the norm will start to see those those leaps in in ambition again, maybe. Yeah, I'd hope so. Um, I, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm always intrigued. I'd hope to see a bit more variety in terms of game structure because everything at the moment seems to be either big open world go nuts, go do whatever the hell you want, or it's the Destiny Division, start, you know, online, you know, like game as a service style. Yep. You know, it's all about the long tail. I'd like to see a bit more variety, a bit more bit more structure with things. That said, ironically, like all the games I'm looking forward to are big open world. Red Dead, Red Dead, <laughs> Red Dead 2. And all sequels. Massive, and all sequels, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you can, you can never predict IP because... Uh, you know, new IP because you never know whether or not it's going to be any good. I mean, the yeah. last the last massive IP that I think you know everyone got really excited for and turned out to be reasonably good was Watch Dogs. Yep. And no one saw that coming. No one knew it was it was on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, the first game was a bit disappointing, but I've heard amazing things about um, the the second one. Yep. And I, I think it's it's for me it's always going to come down to and I, I get a little bit more excited about it come you know May June ish. It's always that and finally moment at E3 yeah. where someone rolls out something you have absolutely no idea was coming, but you think, oh my God, that is going to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We haven't had that as much in the last few years, but hopefully now that everyone, like you said, like now that everyone's got um, kind of got to grips with the new consoles and now that we've got a bit more power to play with in, the, in terms of the Pro and Scorpio, hopefully we see a bit more of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, there's still a few interesting indie things coming. I'm really... Really hoping that Capybara releases below sooner rather than later because I, I feel like I've been anticipating that for <laughs> a very long time now. I, I love Cappy and I, I love roguelikes and that looks fantastic. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, and there's a there's a few other indie gems as well. You know, um, Tacoma looks fantastic. Um, you know, I'm really pleased they've taken their time with that and I have endless faith in those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, Tacoma's looking looking really impressive. I think. look forward as well to seeing um, some of the early access games kind of evolving and hopefully kind of becoming mm-hmm. finalised. Things like um, We Happy Few, which a lot which went into early access last year. Subnautica. Yep. Um, I love that game and the concept of that game. So hopefully that will uh, will uh, will turn out quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe things like you know some the inevitable DLC for Civilization Six. Looking forward to that. As well. <laughs> Um, but anyway, there's enough of, of kind of, a, of of us pontificating on what we're looking forward to. Um, should we move on to our guests? Absolutely. Let's bring in our guest and uh, we'll talk about virtual reality. Cool. Okay, please introduce yourself. I'm Kirsty Rigdon. I'm the development director from Future Lab. Brilliant. Thank you very much for uh, coming down and joining us. Uh, we're here to talk about virtual reality. 
uh, fairly hot topic and uh, something you guys are working on at Future Lab, I believe. Yes, we are. We're currently developing our first VR title, which is very exciting. Something new for the team. Mm-hmm. Can't say what it is at this moment <laughs> in time, but um, it's, I can say, will be definitely out this year and hopefully first half of the year. Cool. Fair uh, and you're launching on PSVR. You've got a, a long and sort of uh, very productive history with Sony. You know, you've, you've produced a lot of great games for them. Um, yeah, we've got a really good relationship with Sony. Um, we really like them. They like us. So it's a natural fit for us yeah. to work on a PSVR with them. Cool. So you must have been spending quite a lot of time uh, in a PSVR helmet recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does wonders for your hair. Um, Has it become any less weird? I still find it quite weird. I sit at home and I put one on. I still find it a little bit odd. I am not really, because I just have it by my desk at work. What I do find odd is if I go into the main room where most of the development guys are and they're just all sat there looking around (laughs) with the VR headsets. I'm like, that's why no one's been answering my emails. They can't see them. But surely you're tempted to just mess with them at that point. Like, like move things around on the desk. Oh, I do. I like prod them and things. Okay, that's fine. Turn all the lights out, lock the doors, put the fire alarm on. (laughs) (laughs) I found like the few virtual reality games I've played, um, the the weird part for me is not not so much putting the helmet on. It's if a game is done well and I've become properly immersed in the experience, it's taking the helmet off and reminding myself, oh, no, hang on. Yes, no, I know where I am now. Yeah. I genuinely have had, I've been that engrossed in some of the titles I've played. Yeah, yeah. I, fa- I find that very odd. Uh, and I presume this is the same for people who've got children. I haven't, but I've got a dog who's generally very interested in whatever I am, whatever I'm doing. <laughs> You've not if put, I put it on, a yeah. on. No, I, I don't want to. I don't want to scare him to death. But when I, you know, I put it on and I take it off, and he's just sat there looking at me, or you know, I'm sat there hiding behind the table playing a, a VR game or something, <laughs> and then suddenly realise that he's nosing me in the side of the head. It's, it is a, it is that kind of cut off from your surrounding environment is still the weirdest thing for me. I think. I think so, but I'm also very aware of the cables, so that definitely mm-hmm. keeps me grounded in reality. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a little game in itself, if you're playing on the Vive, where you have to walk around, where you've got to dodge the person who's in the Vive, yeah. and run around and make sure they're not going to kill themselves on the cables. So yeah. Yeah. I do think there is some kind of game in there somewhere <laughs> to be explored. Yeah, try not to die. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's so it's it's obviously an interesting platform to be working on at the moment. And I imagine as a as a developer, it's throwing up a lot of interesting new challenges and, you know, for designers, looking at the, the fundamentals of the way you design games, has certain things have to change? Certain things are, are the same? I mean, what, what are the kind of, what principles are you looking at um, with, with VR that you weren't looking at previously? So for me, there were two um, main issues that we had to look at. One was locomotion, what we were going to do about that, because we don't want anyone feeling at all sick playing our games. Mm. And we have definitely solved that. Um, We're a small team, so we don't have the resources, as some of the bigger teams do, to spend um, a lot of time trying to create a really sort of fluid locomotion. So we have taken a different approach with it, which... um, I can definitely say does not make you feel sick. Uh, But the other thing that, thinking about it, should have been obvious, but um, was the UI and the HUD elements. We're so used to just being able to have like, oh, let's just have some 2D assets on the screen telling you what to do. Um, You can't really do that. And unless you're in a cockpit, which is quite an easy way to show the UI, there was definitely a lot of thought that had to go into how we were going to display that. And 
what you know we needed to distill down what was actually important for the player and what was the nicest nicety for them to be able to know um, mm-hmm. and change our UI around that um, and likewise the front end and the menus and things yeah. I was just like oh you know it usually takes about two days to design the menus no <laughs> had to completely rethink that because you can't just have a, a 2D you know screen with a menu you know menu items and buttons and things so yeah. that was different for us but interesting fun I think it's nice for the team to think in different ways and have new challenges to solve yeah yeah it's you know interesting to see how games are handling that transition between because so much of it is about immersion going from things like the front end to then being in the game where suddenly you're supposed to believe you're having you know this this fully immersive experience you know so Valkyrie Valkyrie does it in you know does a fade and then suddenly you're in the cockpit of the ship you know Battlezone does it slightly differently some games do it, you know, where they have you putting on a headset in game. Some games do it, so you do this bit on the TV and then you put on the headset for that bit and you take it off. That sort of thing. I think it's putting the headset works really well. I think anything where you can remind the player that they're essentially like a puppet in a world um, is really useful. And also, um, I think there's some science or research that's gone into like blink times. So if you um, can do have a transition which is the same speed as a human blink then that eases, okay. um, you know, eases transitions. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Makes sense. That's interesting. All this new stuff that we're finding out and some of it will work and some of it won't, yeah. but it's um, fun yeah. experimenting. Pioneering. Hmm. <laughs> you must have, obviously this is your first um, virtual reality project, but obviously VR's been uh, in development for quite a few years, so you guys obviously uh, almost have the luxury of there's a lot of work already out there that other developers have done lessons other people have already learned. Kind of, how much research did you guys do before even starting? And were there any games in particular where you you took inspiration from them? So this is a fun story. Um, we were asked to come up with a pitch for VR, so we did. And um, this was quite a while ago, actually. I think it was about nearly two years ago. But we couldn't start the project because we were working on something else at the time. So we said, "Here's the pitch," and it all got signed off. And then about six months later, when we came to actually start it, we thought, actually, this game isn't going to work in VR, the one that we pitched. (laughs) But our um, Dave, our QA guy, who we've now just promoted to designer because he's done a sterling job, spent a lot of time in VR. And he said, why don't we do this instead? And he was bang on. So we completely changed the game. Mm. Um, but that was based off him sat playing a million and one different um, VR titles and figuring out what worked and what didn't, which is, you know, the best way to learn. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how have you, I mean, obviously, the, one of the big challenges and, you know, I've got, I'm lucky enough to have all three headsets at home. Um, and there are some games that I will play for reasonable amounts of time. You know, Eve Valkyries and Battlezone are both games that I've sat in VR for an hour and been like, you know, this is fine and it's not got uncomfortable. A lot of games are being designed for shorter experiences. And, you know, without trying to you know, uh, delve too many details out of you, how are you, you sort of approaching that kind of use case kind of thing? Because it's quite different from the games you've made before, presumably. It is different, as in it's not a velocity game, mm-hmm. but um, it has similar kind of principles. So we are going for the, the shorter bursts of gameplay. I think that makes sense. Um, because you are encased in a headset so you know just to be able to get 
deal with life really like if the doorbell goes or something in you know, it's very easy for you to break that immersion mm. um yeah so i agree with you we you know the short bursts are a good idea uh, we're also doing something different in the sense that a lot of the experiences out there i feel are just that experiences which are amazing and they're wonderful and when you're in them you know you're transported to a different world but um, a lot of them it feels like they're a one-time experience once you've done it you've experienced it and then you perhaps bring it out again if you want to show someone what VR can do but you might not go back to it yourself so yeah. we're going down a, a different route yeah okay you're gonna keep coming back and playing our game <laughs> That's good. I, I mean, the the sense is out there that that 2017 is going to be the year where people start ramping up their VR experiences into VR games, because uh, yeah, 2016 was obviously a pivotal year because Oculus, HTC Vive, and PlayStation VR all arrived on shelves. So finally, you had this technology that the industry has been talking about for two years finally in the hands of the consumers. The consumers have probably been led to believe, or rather, have hyped themselves up to believe that. That's it. I'm going to stick this on. I'm going to be able to play Skyrim for a hundred hours in virtual reality, and that's just not the case. What you've got is, like you say, these these short experiences, these short demo experiences, and I guess that's all the developers can can afford to risk developing at this point. But now, going like going forward, we're going to be seeing a lot more replayability. Hopefully, mm -hmm. um, I mean, kind of from your experience so far, like kind of any tips for other developers on what makes a, a game replayable in VR. Well, you've got to think, why would someone want to come back to this? Is it because there's a route that they've not taken? Or is it because there's a high score that they want to beat? Or are they going to be interacting with their friends? Um, I think it's the same for non-VR games, really. There are a lot of non-VR games out there that, you know, they might be 40 hours long, but once you play them once, you're likely not to go back to them again. But then there are other games that you keep going back to and just playing short bursts like Overwatch. Mm -hmm. Where you, know, you want to, you want to improve your score. You want to play with other people, and um, you know it's a short Murder burst as many of time. As possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of the things I have really loved about VR is that it's it's been the first time in probably twenty years when I've been able to persuade my friends to come round to my house and play games, and you know make them do something that I really enjoy, and where they've had a really positive reaction to it. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of people have, have sort of rang me up and said, oh, you know, can I come around and try this? Um, and, you know, you it suddenly turning on a console at a party or when you've got people around doesn't result in groans and everyone sort of, you know, gradually drifting out of the room. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite a nice focal point for that. And I think that, you know, increasing that kind of social side of things is, is going to be quite an uh, interesting way of moving that forward. And, and I think Sony's very well kind of positioned with the PSVR to do that. You know, it's got the idea of, if you have the TV as well there, it's in front of your sofa as well as, you know, and you can pass the helmet round and, and do that. Yeah, concept. we took um, the our PSVR back to my husband's family at Christmas and everyone was having a go on the playroom. Mm. Um, you know, people in their 50s down to, um, you know, the kids. Yeah. And it was great for that, being able to pass the headset around and say, oh, I'm going to be the dinosaur now. And um, <laughs> just seeing everyone's reaction to it. It was it was brilliant. And, you know, I know my sister-in-law's now said she's definitely going to be buying one. So, yeah. You get yeah, commission I on that sale? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't I? Um, yeah, so I, th I think it's just going to... It will get there, but it's just taking a bit of time to reach the mainstream and the the non sort of core audience. But 
it's only been out like you know VR's only came out last year so I think it's got a long way to go mm. still yeah yeah it's done pretty well for first generation mm. hardware yeah so personally that's an area of um, virtual reality that I'm kind of keen to see grow is the kind of the um, the asynchronous multiplayer mm-hmm. so things like the obvious examples are keep talking and nobody explodes so you've got one person in the headset the everyone else is trying to um, interact with them so you're not because it, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about um Isolating, you know, your your dog feeling left out because you've got the headset on, Dan. <laughs> like involving the people that don't have the headset on, because I, I think I personally, like asynchronous multiplayer, and I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, didn't take off the way I hoped it would. Like with the Wii U, when the Wii U first came out, all those games on um, Nintendo Land yep. worked brilliantly, and I still, my family still all come around and we have a quick go of those. But to do that in virtual reality, which is something truly different, yep. I think that. Is a, a massive area of promise for it. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, the, the thing that struck me immediately as soon you know once it became a reality, and I think you know for for people of our our generation is you know Nightmare the TV series. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. The idea of your whole family sort of standing around behind you going, "No, left. No, you idiot. No, 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 no. Hit. Oh, okay, you're dead. All right. Great. Crystal Maze would be a great one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. I mean, that would be yeah. perfect. Um, because you know you've got one person in a room, and then you can decide who's going to go into the next room, and everyone shouting at the TV saying, "Yeah, yep. you know, it's over there, it's over there." <laughs> Basically, we're all looking for more excuses to shout at our friends and family. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah, to justify so, that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that personally, I think that's the way forward compared to like. So Ubisoft is going quite heavy on the the VR multiplayer with them, um, Eagle Fly and Star Trek Bridge Crew. Which don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, as a, a a bit of a trekker myself. I love the idea of sitting on a bridge and looking around at my fellow bridge members who are actual human beings, not weird you know, AI people. Yep. But then, you know, you're, that alone, you need four PlayStation VRs. Yep. Presumably multiple consoles. I'm not f- fully sure on how that works. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's a really expensive setup. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, and, and that's the, one of the biggest barriers VR still faces, particularly the premium VR is the price of having not just a headset but a, a machine good enough to run it and even you know all right playstation vr is a lot more accessible but a playstation is still quite expensive mm-hmm. but i think the first wave is very much dedicated towards the core yeah the core gamers who already have a ps4 and so it's mm-hmm. you know the, the psvr is like um you know and you know a new console almost for them which they can just plug into something they already have i think I think what you're talking about, kind of like the the couch co-op or couch competitive play, will come in time when um, it is more mainstream and there are more, um, you know, more of that type of content out there. But I think at the moment, most people who have heard of this are the core, mm. you know, who've heard of VR are the core gamers, and they are the ones that should be. You know, should have the content that they're, they're expecting at this stage. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's primarily a, a technology appealing to the core at the moment. But it does it does surprise me how how widely the concept of virtual reality is reaching the mainstream, and I, I mean primarily through mobile. Yeah, like Google Cardboard, for example. I mean, the amount of times you'll go into like a supermarket and. You know, cereal boxes will have you know a Google Cardboard included yeah, in it. Meals. And like, yeah, yeah, Happy Meals and like, oh, here's here's a Star Wars VR viewer yeah. for ten pounds for a bit of cardboard that just has a Stormtrooper helmet. Now, I mean, I've not been able to get on with cardboard myself. I've not, I've yet to find an app that actually works, and I can actually. 
But maybe that's because I've been spoiled because I've played Vive and Oculus yeah. and PSVR. Yeah, I mean, the I Galaxy Gear works brilliantly. Yeah, the it's Gear. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it does overheat if you have it on for more than an hour, and obviously you don't want to use a Note Seven in it if you want to keep most of your face attached. <laughs> um, but you know, in, in terms of like, I mean, it's the one that I've got. You know, my parents, my girlfriend's parents. You know, you put that on and you do the three sixty uh, panoramic photo. You know, tour of the world. Go and see the Parthenon. Go and see the pyramids and stuff. Brilliant. Keeps them quiet for hours. It's amazing. You know. So I, yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely yeah. a route to that. I yeah. think that's that's the thing. I, I, even like you know, gear VR like kind of the cheaper knockoffs. Like I um, I was in Spain uh, late last year and went into a random store and there were virtual reality headsets mm. alongside like key rings and notepads and stuff. Like <laughs> it's just a thing that people are now trying to sell. Like yeah. and you know the gear VR like. I, they have obviously have that touchpad on the, the the side, and I don't know why I'm indicating because there's an audio there's an audio thing. So it's me very ta- awkward to use that little thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. You you can't help but feel a little bit like Cyclops from the X Men. Um, no bad thing. But I mean, but yeah, you know, using that and using kind of gaze uh, activated like mechanics, like you know, th- th- there's potential there for developers to design games that do get mobile mobile users and therefore the mainstream into virtual reality easier yeah. and quicker, and then hopefully. Yeah. convert them later to the premium stuff. I, yeah. I think that's definitely what's going to happen. Yeah. The mobile mobile is always the gateway. Mm. And if people get on with the mobile VR and they like it, then they'll look to do, you know, they'll look to the um, more core experiences like PSVR and Vive and Oculus. But I see games being maybe 10% of VR. Mm. There's so many ways it can go. I think education's really exciting. Imagine yeah. doing like a science experiment in VR where it doesn't matter if you, you know, yeah. mix the two thing chemicals together and like blow things up. Yeah, There's nothing absolutely. to clean up afterwards in VR. Yeah. Um yeah, visual learning, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean already you walk around Brighton and pretty much every estate agent you walk past, they say, Oh, you know, come and do virtual house tours. Because it means you go in once and you don't have to book eight different appointments to go and see houses yeah. where you might not be able to get in and you have to pay a uh, an estate agent to show you round and you might get there and go this is a wasted trip because mm. it smells of cabbage and there's an inch of water on the floor so you know? VR's not going to help you with the <laughs> well, smell no, of cabbage but, you know you can, you can, you yet, can put anyway. it on and go I've seen ten houses today I know which three of them I want to go and visit because you know, I've been in those rooms it's not just some guy with a fish eye lens that stood at the end of yeah. the looked twice as big as it is that's so, also going to be cool for um, uh, you know like construction and building houses and like you know, planning out your own apartment and yeah. a friend of mine lives in Australia and she's currently building a house like imagine if you could just stick on the headset right so I'm going to have a wall there. No, I don't like that. Or move the wall. Or Ikea. Yeah. Ikea, yes. Do I like that sofa? Does it go, put it on? Does it go in my house? Yes, it does. Or what about yeah. if I move it over to that wall? Yeah. Does that picture yeah. look nice? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Click on that button to order. Job done. Ikea yeah. has your money. Yeah. 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 And you don't have to sit there with the paint samples going, mm, which one of the... I've got that at the moment in my kitchen. Yeah, we've, Lots we've of different... got a big patchwork wall. <laughs> <laughs> which one? The non-games area that fascinates me with um, VR and even AR is... Um, Kind of educational, like, you know, like kind of museums and stuff. Mm. Like you know, the idea of like you know, oh, here are some here here are some grainy black and white photos of the Somme, yeah. and now put on this headset and you're there. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I went um, GDC. I was lucky enough to go to um, uh, Alcatraz mm-hmm. um, uh, during one of the night tours, and 
the, you, you've got an audio tour, you, you are all given the audio tour because no one walks around with you, and they're describing, like, um, you know, the escapes and, you know, the escape attempts and the riots and the fact. I was like, I imagine if just AR-wise or even VR-wise, you can just suddenly see all of that around you happening and really give a lot more context to what you're seeing. Yeah. And um, there's so much possibility here. Yeah, yeah and I think, I think you're absolutely right about games being a relatively small part of that market. And it's, I think it's, it's an interesting... You know, you can look at that two ways. I think you know, you can look at it, it being great for games because it's the, the thin end of the wedge and it's the part where it becomes normalised first, and it shows that you know, games is is on the cutting edge of consumer technology, and it, it's where people are happy to spend money first, and it's the fun bit, naturalises everyone with it. But there's also a bit of an element of going, you guys just kind of take all the risk on this, <laughs> right? You know, if if VR crashes and dies now, it's mostly going to be games companies that bear the brunt of that. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that's true. There's so much investment in VR at the moment. I'm pretty sure they're not all making games. Yeah. You know, um, is John Lewis got a app? Yeah. I think yeah, they yeah. do. You know, I'm, would Shop be some fitting app. I think for their corporate side and stuff. Exactly, and, yeah. and like all the car companies, they're making them. I'm. Yeah. I think everyone is pushing it in their yeah. own. I guess way. I was thinking more with platforms. I know. I know. You know, Rift, Oculus is certainly never particularly was a games company, and is certainly not now. It's owned by Facebook. It's not going to be their primary concern. You know the, the 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 rift is very much obviously uh, you know a, a, a focused at by a games company, and I do wonder, you know, if if one of those if, if one of those companies goes down, which one it might be, and I it's 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 an awful thing that, and I absolutely love the vibe. I've got one, but I've only used it two or three times mm. because it means moving my PC downstairs from my office, it means clearing out all the furniture in my house, it means setting up the the things, and it is absolutely mind blowingly magical. But I just don't know whether room scale VR like that is ever going to become a truly consumer-facing commercial possibility. Perhaps not in your home. Mm. I think where it will really come into its own is in the arcade experiences. Yeah, you know the modern-day Laser Quest. Yep. Um, I mean, there's already one, isn't there? I think in New York with your yeah. Ghostbuster, yeah, with the yeah, yeah. pack on your back. There's, yeah. a, there's a zombie one as well with um, with the Galaxy Gear, where it's uh, you know it's it's mapped out to the actual physical environment, and you know you're walking around, except that there's you know there's zombies there which aren't really there, and then occasionally they'll they'll have one where it's a you know a zombie jump out, and there will be a person who jumps out and grabs you, to, yeah. you know, uh, just to invite a few lawsuits. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right, and I think the idea of Public gaming spaces, public VR experiences is, is a really interesting one. There's some cool stuff that can be done there. Yeah, definitely. like you say, museums and mm-hmm. art galleries. and yeah. um, I definitely see there's a space for it. It just maybe not how we imagine it at the moment. Yeah. Do you think you'd ever consider working on a, a non-games VR project? Yeah, yeah. I would. Um, what would that be? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I would like to do something. I'm... I think the thought of working in education with VR for me is very exciting just because education is so important yet sometimes the way it's taught is incredibly dull. Yeah. Um, so to be able to bring things to life, like you say, Battle mm. of the Somme, etc., to be able to be there and have empathy for what's mm. going on. Climate change is another one. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine seeing Brighton underwater in the year 2060 or something. Yeah. That might yeah. elicit some kind of movement on... Um, Climate change, so yeah, I think. Glad I bought my house at the top of a hill. Might have a, sea, might have a sea view in 20 years, yeah. <laughs> I'm about three houses from the sea, so. So you're going to have two houses worth of warning, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
thank you very much for joining us. That's all we've got for you this time. Uh, in the meantime, you can always find all of your Games Industry news analysts. Uh, analysts? Analyst. You can find an, the analysts an, analyst. there as well. Yeah. Analysis. Yeah. And insight. Both of those things. All of those things. Some, of, game, them, some of them are spelled correctly. Gamesindustry.biz. <laughs> We're also on the usual social media channels. I'm going to go now before I make this any worse. <laughs> See, See you, you next time. time. <laughs>